Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Everything Kratom, the podcast about anything and everything Kratom. Great to have you with us on this Friday morning. Hoping all's well with you out there today, as always. Yesterday afternoon, I had a conversation with my friend Tristan. He was the first person that I ever interviewed for this show, and he's come back on a few times since. And each time, I learn a whole lot about pain management and chronic pain and what it's like to deal with all the difficulties of having chronic pain, which Tristan certainly has, and, you know, just getting life updates. I've always found them to be really beneficial to myself, my own understanding of the different things going on out there and the different ways people experience Kratom. And Tristan certainly has some interesting insights into Kratom, where it fits into society, how it works for him, and, you know, especially his viewpoints on tapering down and his experiences with that. And I think that that's something that a lot of people have found interesting as we've followed Tristan over this past year in his journey of tapering down his own Kratom use. So as always, I think this was a great conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. And just as a quick note and disclaimer, uh, this show does not condone or encourage anyone to take Kratom or think about Kratom or do anything with Kratom or any other substances. And uh, this episode also does contain some difficult topics. So just wanted to warn people ahead of time. Okay, on with the show. Okay, so here we are, our friend Tristan in Texas. And as a huge, huge note to begin with, we recorded an episode a little while back and it didn't save. (laughs) So... Uh, you can imagine the extreme loss that we both felt, but here we are. We're both recording this one. One of us will get it. It's going to work. So it's nice to talk to you again, Tristan. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. It's uh, it's good to be back. And uh, this time it'll work. Hopefully. This time it'll work. <laughs> Optimism. Um, well, it's great to have you. And as always, this is a really fun check-in and kind of like the only consistent check-in that happens through this show, at least. Um, You were the first person I talked to out of any conversations I had. And I think a lot of people have have been enjoying following along with your journey over the past year of just hearing your thoughts on Kratom, where it fits fits into society, and then also just like, uh, you know, your own journey with it and your tapering down and everything and anything about your pain management i think people have always found it fascinating so i'm excited to hop into some stuff here and just thought i would start off by saying like what's new what's going on with you these days um not much new there there's been a lot of house stuff my uh dad finally got the fence fixed and the sidewalk fixed so in a in a week or two we're gonna have to go ahead and stain that it's gonna be a lot of fun um but uh i've been struggling with the kratom taper actually that's that's been recent uh for Mm. the past month or two um it's gotten a lot lot harder um next month uh basically to the day is going to be my one year anniversary of starting it wow wow that's wild yeah i think i remember seeing a comment um after i think it was maybe our second conversation with someone saying wow he's really doing it by the book like he's like the way that you were laying out your taper was very methodical and and laid out in a very thoughtful way and um you know it's just it's neat to see someone going through this like you know step by step so uh carefully and uh so i think that last time we talked 
I th- keyword I think because we we lost an episode, but I think the last time we talked, you had mentioned that you were down to I think one point three grams per serving when it, like whenever you took kratom. Um, w- what's going on now? Where are you at? I'm at one point zero five, and uh, I have been for have this written down in my phone. Um, let's see since. November 8th. Um, so about not nine days exactly. Uh, just a little over a week. Um, I had to go from like every, uh, five to eight days closer to like six so just under a week to like over two weeks between uh, reducing the dosages. I'm still reducing by the same amount, but it, it, it has gotten slower, fortunately. Mm. Um, and I'm back to using a clonidine patch to help. Mm. Yeah, you've had um, a lot of insight into like, I I usually see like this back and forth on social media, which is, it's always dumb to really follow it. But, you know, there's always like, oh, the people who say Kratom, solves pain management and it's the way to get off of opioids who are pe- for people who are addicted and there are people who, who say it's you know terribly addictive it's going to ruin your life just as much as heroin would and and there are people who say you never mix the two but like i remember i didn't really know much about any of this and then when i talked to you the first time and you were talking about how you kind of use it in tandem combination back and forth with your prescriptions that you use to manage your chronic pain and how it kind of was just like a whole new subject for me because I because I hadn't really thought of the two together. Um, how has that how has that evolved over this past year? Like, do you find that kratom was t- was helping you a significant amount with your pain, and that now you have to compensate a lot with other things, or are you finding that it wasn't really like f- filling a big gap there? It, it was filling a gap. In the, in the beginning, uh, back when I was on um, 6.75 grams, um, I had started taking it for pain and uh, needed in the beginning 5.3-ish. Um, oh. And this is uh, not smoke shop, so smoke shop probably like 15 grams. But um, yeah, and, and then as I reduced, um, it, it became ineffective and then Obviously, I was taking it for such a long time. Uh, for me, Kratom had a lot of side effects, uh, very unpleasant side effects. So I do better with traditional opioids for pain. Um, that's not the case for everybody, but you know, every body and, and chemistry and body chemistry is, is so different that some people do better with one or the other. Uh, some people might get addicted to one or the other. Um, although it, the, with pain management now being so so regulated, people are are getting such baby dosages and you know getting drug tested every month. It's it's pretty hard to get addicted that way. Um, it's it's not like the, the old days where they overprescribe like crazy. Mm. What, what were the type of effects or the type of effects, side effects that you get from Kratom that you don't get from uh, the, the other things that you take to manage your pain? Um, the stuff I take to manage my pain, the only side effect I get is constipation. There's no, there's no high, there's no euphoria, there's no nothing. And um, if you talk to people in, in chronic pain, who take opioids every day or, or very regularly, they'll tell you that uh, really the, the side effects or, or any type of higher or anything like that really just kind of goes away. Um, that's supposed to be one of the reasons that they are so addictive because people who are using it to get high, well, very quickly what they used to take doesn't work anymore. No. Um, but it's, it usually still works for pain. Um, it takes a couple months to kind of 
depending on the person, sort out exactly how much you need for pain. Um, because you, there's like a, a little bit of a mini tolerance you get. Like it, I, I remember a seven and a half milligram Norco in the ER when they gave it to me for pain in the ER was, you know, so strong. I was, uh, I was falling asleep almost. Um, but now that's, that's not much of anything, but like you kind of stabilize on a dose and then you can keep at that dose for a really long time. You know, some people are taking the same dose for a decade or longer. Um, that's definitely not unheard of. Yeah. 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 And what kind of, um, Kratom, do you take it like, or have you been taking as you've been tapering down? I forget if I've asked you that before. Um, I think you have, but it's mostly just been reds. I, I was looking to mimic opioids for, um, for pain relief initially. And uh, even greens were giving me much worse anxiety. Um, I would get anxiety on reds, but... Uh, because they were more sedating, it was better. Mm. Uh, it wasn't as anxiety-inducing. Um, no. That's interesting. I, I find it so fascinating how different uh, different varieties of kratom can affect people. And, and it's, I mean, at least in my experience, it, I've I've had hit or misses here and there, but really, like, it can vary so widely depending on the person and the body and like I, I guess i'm thinking about kratom and juxtaposition with coffee where it's like if i drink you know colombian versus ethiopian versus dark or light brew like it, it doesn't matter it's like i'm just reacting to caffeine and it's not really uh -huh. affecting me any differently but with kratom it's like oh well is it green is it red is it from this island or that one <laughs> it's, it's just wild yeah i, I think Kratom's a little more intense than coffee for sure, though. Um, but I, I get what you mean. Um, like some people can do coffee or uh, can do like black tea, but they can't do coffee because of the caffeine. Right. Um, and actually thinking about it from Kratom, you're really only reacting to the alkaloids like the alkaloid differences where it's grown green, white versus red. Um, so it's, it's that and, and whatever mental effect you have, like you might, you know, take a white and think it'll stimulate you and, and it will, but that might just add to it symmetrically. Yeah. Uh, it's a great point because, um, you know, th there's like, I feel like we continue to learn about things that we feel like we know everything about, even like, you know, there's, I see research articles now and then talking about new things that we've learned about coffee. And it's like, I'm, I remember the first time I saw one of those and paid attention to it. I was like, what, what do we not know about coffee? <laughs> we've been drinking, like everybody drinks it and they drink it all the time. And how could there be new things to learn about it? But there are like new ways that it affects our bodies that we don't really know about. Um, or, or I mean like ways that we didn't know about. So there are new ways now. <laughs> And then like with uh, Kratom, yeah, like the alkaloid content, it's what we're reacting to. And the fact that we don't really know much about like any of them is insane. It's like just the tip of the iceberg with so much to look into. It, it really is. Um, but that's kind of the world of, of pharmaceuticals. Uh, as somebody who studied pharmacology quite a bit, um, not as much as a, as a pharmacist. Uh, once I uh, got to the next level and I started talking about calcium channels, I'm like, okay, this is enough. <laughs> I, I, I got like five, 10 minutes into that video and I'm like, okay, this is enough. But it's, it's like, oh, this drug is thought to do this. Well, we're not sure. Um, like the, and, and there's a lot of myths that persist in, in medicine, the, uh, the whole serotonin, uh, myth, uh, that serotonin is linked to depression. Well, yes and no, increasing it might help, decreasing it might help, but beyond that, we're not sure. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's a little crazy. Uh, just how little we know about some of the drugs. Uh, some are, are pretty well well known, but others it's kind of uh, just a lot of unknowns, pretty much. Not dissimilar to Kratom. Yeah. Uh, well, like, rem- just remind me to never look up calcium channels. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> that sounds horrifying. Uh, I, I did it in AP <laughs> Biology and. Uh, it was uh, it was not fun. Um, it's very important to the mechanism of action. Um, don't quote me on this, but I think one of the uh, some of the muscle relaxers work through calcium channels. I think thallium has a strong effect on the calcium channels, and that's why it works so so well for muscle relaxation. But again, I'm not even hundred percent sure about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's impossible to, to know, uh, everything pharmacology wise and, you know, even pharmacists will have misinformation. So you kind of, kind of got to stick to the, the basics and kind of what, what you know. And, um, for most people, it's just, it's just too boring and too complex to waste their time with. Um, no knock on them, but kind of like politics, it's just like, well, you have a lot of other things going on in your life. Why deal with it? You know, you have, you have a baby, for example, so that's probably more important than calcium channels. <laughs> oh, yeah. Precisely why I'll need you to remind me <laughs> never to look that up. <laughs> no, <dude. laughs> but but it's, a, it's a solid point, man, because it's like um, the the fact that like... The, things can be so complex, but we're but the way to address them officially and through you know like legal channels or rather legislative channels. Sorry, um, I mean with regards to kratom, it's always through a kratom consumer protection act. And I think at the bare minimum, most of them I've seen out there address some pretty basic concerns that should. I think that it makes sense for if if anyone's in favor of any sort of regulation that it makes sense to limit it, you know, people over 18 and this and that, but it's like, there's so much to get into and it's not even related to necessarily just Kratom in particular, but it's like so many issues that we just legislate our way through. They're so complex and it's like, we should be, we could spend a million years on each of these issues and it's like almost laughable how simple sometimes we try and address them with these like very blanket bills. But, but I guess that's kind of a, like a separate topic as well. But, um, like the, the thing that I'm thinking right now is cause I, cause I've always shied away from like getting into stuff that's too sciencey, like not cause I don't want to know the truth, but just cause it's just like, I have a limit to my brain and I, I didn't specialize in, in this sort of thing. And when you start reading a research paper, it's just like, it, it, be, it can become so mind numbing so quickly, but, um, but that's kind of where I've been finding a lot of the meat in this. It, it, like, uh, someone wrote me recently and was talking to me about, and I think I talked about it in an episode afterwards, how um, when you're taking like uh, certain antidepressants, for instance, it's interesting how tapering down from like, you know, a very high dose to like a mid-level dose or from a mid-level dose to somewhat low dose isn't that difficult. But then it gets really difficult when you go from low to really low. And, and how, how it just kind of like thinking about the science behind that just like blew my mind and made me think, huh, I wonder if that can be related to Kratom as well. Um, and it kind of seems to me like from your, sorry, this rant is almost over, but it kind of seems to me like that's kind of somewhat been your experience from my outside perspective that you, you found certain levels really difficult to get through with this taper, but like higher levels, not necessarily as difficult. That's definitely the case. Um, that's kind of an almost universal, um, I don't know what the right word, idea you can apply to almost any drug or, or medication that, uh, that causes any sort of dependency, be it antidepressants, um, opiates, uh, you know, uh, kratom, uh, benzos, uh, even Lyrica, Gabapentin, Trafer, uh, Nerve Pain, um, pretty much anything that, that causes your body to be dependent on, uh, almost all of them have that 
that kind of characteristic, some more so than others, for sure. Um, especially the ones with a long half-life are like that. Um, mm. Because really, it's, it's your body's trying to reach homeostasis. And uh, when you introduce a, a drug to the mix, well, eventually it's going to get used to that and reach homeostasis. And when you reduce a little bit, when you're at a high dose, uh, it's, it's not too hard to reach homeostasis. But when you're on that low dose, the, the blood plasma concentration, aka the amount of drug in your system, um, the percentage difference becomes much bigger and it's much harder for your body to reach homeostasis. Um, uh, sorry, that, that probably was needlessly complex, but... No, uh, no, the, I think it's fascinating. And plus, this is my show. We can talk about whatever we want. <laughs> true enough, true enough. <laughs> no i think it's i love it i mean like it this is it's exactly the kind of thing that i think is needed like just these this long like sort of like we need to have long thoughts about these sorts of things uh because they're so complex sometimes and um it's important to like take the time to kind of talk through things because like at least from my own experience, I, when I start some of these episodes, I don't know exactly how I'm feeling about something, you know, completely until by the end of the episode. Cause I've like had time to talk through it. And then I'm like, you know, that's, that's why I think this, or that's why I don't feel this way anymore about this. And, um, it just takes time to talk through. Yeah. I mean, talking out loud is, is a great way to kind of get ideas out there and kind of work through the, uh, the details of things. Um, yeah, you're definitely not wrong about that. Um, it's not related to this in any way, but you know, he, sometimes he's great. He has that like normie instinct and he's great at like getting to the root of certain issues, certain things kind of go over his head, but, um, he's really passionate, uh, about weed and, uh, gay marriage and people who are kind of opposed to that. He'll, he'll really kind of put them, kind of put them in a corner and be like, so why do you believe that? Or, you know, but like, you know, this their marriage invalidate your marriage, like kind of going through that. And it's, it, it really is fascinating and it works wonders, uh, especially if you have a, another person there. Yeah. And I, you know, I have a feeling that the sort of technique of talking through things would also be a good way of like, you know, I find that it's helpful for me to see like when I'm talking with someone and they talk through things and I maybe even have a different viewpoint, the way that I react, the way they react, it helps me understand like the intent of the other person. And mm -hmm. like, it doesn't mean you agree with them, but you can tell that they have good intent. I feel like after talking with them and like, I would love to talk with some people who have been in charge of like, I don't know, the, the sorts of people who are, you know, let's just say at the FDA or at CDC or places where like they put out conflicting information about Kratom. I would love to just sit down with someone out there and just talk with them through things for a while. Cause then I would at least have, I don't like pushing the idea that like there's any sort of like conspiracy, you know, to, to make it so that Kratom should be illegal or whatever because of money. But like all the evidence I see is pointing that way. <laughs> so I'd love to talk to somebody from up there and just at least get a feeling for like what their intent is. Cause I don't know. I, that's something that I've been struggling with recently. Like how, how is it that like more people are dying from like, you know, antihistamines than they are from Kratom according to the CDC, but it's like, but Kratom needs to be banned. It's, I mean, where, where's the antihistamine ban movement? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, there, there is a bias there. It involves money, but it's not just money. I, I call it an establishment bias where 
um, you know, they, they have an a, a established idea and they're just kind of propagating towards that. So thinking, uh, what's the phrase? Like start, oh, starting from your conclusion, something like that. And that always leads to, to bad science and, and bad evidence, but sometimes they, they do well. Um, yeah. The problem with FDA is they're not, they don't have enough money and they don't have enough, they're too impacted by outside institutions. They don't have enough money to do proper research uh, into new drugs um, and old drugs uh, every time. Um, and then the, the whole supplement industry being unregulated um, and there's also a lot of caution around just new drugs in general. There's a lot of caution around. Um, and it's kind of always been that way. I remember when uh, synthetic marijuana or, or spice was a big deal. Uh, I'm sure people still use it. Um, you can literally type in like herbal incense on Google and get these sketchy websites. <laughs> um, but apparently they sell it or they scam you one way. I, I didn't check. Um, but that was, that, that was actually a major concern. Uh, it was actually killing people and causing seizures. Kratom, not so much. So it's like there's, there's a bias towards, you know, well, when it comes to pain, there's a bias towards uh, opioids or now non-opioid analgesics. Okay, when it comes to addiction, there's a bias towards MITs and methadone or suboxone. So Kratom is kind of like, uh, I hate to call it alternative medicine because alternative medicine generally is, is just focus, focus. It's just not pharmaceutical medicine. How about that? And well, that's, that's the yeah. way I kind of think about it. Mm, I, I, I want to run with that a bit because that's, I've been thinking a lot about that too recently and how, like, what is, what gives something credibility when it comes to this? I don't like the idea of calling Kratom alternative medicine either. <laughs> and, and it like, it just doesn't seem to fit for me, but it's not technically medicine like and like doing this show to make sure I don't get in trouble. Like I have to make sure people know that Kratom is not considered medicine right now. So like the fact that I have to state that I feel like takes away credibility from it and it kind of makes it by default alternative medicine. But it's like, what does alternative medicine mean and why do I have this bad stigma about it? I think you rightfully do because pretty much all alternative medicine, and I'm gonna make some enemies here, but chiropractic, acupuncture, uh, most notably, um, the, um, the, the stuff they prescribe it, scientifically proven not to work, um, uh, especially for, for chronic pain. There's a little bit of evidence for chiropractic for uh, acute pain, but um, that's why a lot of chiropractics will incorporate physical therapy, which does have evidence behind it. It's it's hard because it's you know th there are supplements out there that legitimately help people, um, and there are almost different tiers. Like, have you ever heard of St. John's Wort? Oh yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. So it literally acts like an SSRI, but a much more mild one. Um, mm. so in, in Germany, they actually prescribe it. My mom was prescribed it, um, for a short period of time for postpartum de depression. So it's, it's something you don't want to take with SSRIs, but it's not a bad option to take it before. And they actually do prescribe it in Germany. Fenibut's prescribed in Russia, mm. although... Germany has better healthcare than we do. Russia, I think, has worse. Um, and there's there's less like literature about what how Russia uses it because it's 
not part of the, the Western world so much. Um, but Kratom, yeah, you're right. It's not, it's, it's, I guess alternative medicine is a lot of like, this is not evidence-based, hey, you know, do at your own risk kind of thing. Mm. Um, but Kratom is, has evidence, but it's still do at your own risk because you're not having a doctor prescribe it. You're not picking up at a pharmacist. There's not really regulation around it. Doesn't mean it doesn't work. It it works uh, for a lot of people, like a pharmaceutical does. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, what do we call it? Really, that is a good question. Well, that's a fascinating thought too. The fact that like Saint John's Wort is, and I've heard a lot about it, um, that it's prescribed in Germany, and but like here, you know, I know it's like considered a supplement. I see it sold on like Amazon and stuff, but I, like, I, I feel like it's, I mean, it's not prescribed here. I don't think so. Would that make it alternative medicine that happens to be a supplement too, that you can take, or is it like, and you know, at one, one might think that this is getting too in the weeds with it, but I think it's not because I think that this is kind of one of the main struggles around society grasping Kratom. Like, what is it? Because it's like, there's. Well, there's the whole context of we're going through this, um, uh, everybody's calling it the opioid epidemic or crisis. And that, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it just reminds me of like the, the crack epidemic in the 80s, you know, and in the 90s. It just looks like that to me, um, but just like different populations. But it's like, it's, it, there's the context of that. There's a similarity that Kratom holds with opioids or, or like, you know, this whole, that whole idea. And then there's also like this aspect of how much legitimacy does something have to have to be considered medicine? Does it need evidence? Um, but, but does it also need to have the seal of approval from the United States government to be considered medicine in the U S and it's like legal? Yes. But aside from the legal aspect, like, which is people talking about things, I don't know. And and it also makes me think like, you know, St. John's wort grows in fields around my house. Like I see it there all the time. And there have been, it's been thousands of years where people like pick plants that grow in their backyard that help heal them. And, and, and that's always been a thing. And that wasn't alternative medicine at the time. It was, that was medicine. <laughs> like go and pick the medicine in your backyard. <laughs> I don't know. I love thinking about this sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fascinating and it, it can even get in pretty uh, sticky waters. I mean, um, the milk of poppy or, or poppy seeds have been used for thousands of years. Um, so that's essentially morphine. Um, but if you want an early example, um, heroin was used until the 90s in uh, European hospitals. So, you know, not some third Wait, world really? country. Yes, not, not no even kidding. Uh, yeah, because if you look at it chemically, there's nothing inherently wrong with heroin. It's, it's more processed morphine. Like they take morphine, add a chemical and turn it into something that's about twice as strong. So it essentially, um, and it's a pro-drug to morphine, pro-drug meaning it doesn't act on its own. It, it goes in the body and then converts into morphine. So when you're giving someone uh, heroin or someone's, well, I guess no one's giving it anymore. They, they banned it in Europe because of the stigma around heroin. Uh, but when someone's going through heroin withdrawals, really what they're going through are really severe morphine withdrawals. Um, mm. So it's, it's kind of like, well, I mean, that, that's a whole, for a lot of people, that's probably too much to, to accept or, or wrap their brain around, but you know, there are stronger drugs than, than heroin out there that we use. The um, lot comes to mind, oxymorphone, which is a metabolite of, of oxycodone metabolite, meaning it's something that when your body takes it and processes it also comes out, that's three times stronger than morphine. Well, heroin is twice as strong. Uh, I don't remember how, uh, yeah, yeah, three times as strong. Dilaudid, I don't know how much, it's a lot stronger than, than 
uh, morphine or heroin uh, for that matter. Um, so it's, it's, it's weird. <laughs> That's all I can <laughs> say. I mean, the, the world of opioids, it's, it's kind of a, a mess to be honest. Um, at least pharmacologically, like there's so much out there to learn um, and, and weird uses. Uh, we still haven't figured out how to make morphine in a lab. Um, and I guess even the fact that we're still using opioids for pain is in and of itself kind of like, people are like, oh, why isn't there a non-addictive painkiller out there? Well, I guess we just haven't found anything. It's all, all opioids do is essentially mimic uh, the body's natural receptors that exist for a reason. Uh, we were wild uh, hunter-gatherers for most of our existence. And I imagine like if you were bitten by a tiger or something or, um, or what have you, uh, tons of, of endorphins and uh, your body itself creates, um, I don't know what the right word is, but it, it creates chemicals that bind to the opioid receptors to relieve pain. So that's why that like shock thing, you know, someone might've been uh, shot or run over and they'll often not feel pain until hours later when the endorphins and uh, the body's natural opioids run out. So when we take opioids for pain, we're just mimicking that. Um, and then obviously there's the, the, the part of the population that takes it for recreation and they're doing the same thing. They're you know, mimicking, same with the cannabinoid receptors and cannabis, you know, there's a system there. I don't know what function it serves. I've done a lot of research, but I'm sure it serves some function. Your body naturally produces some, some cannabinoids under some circumstances, or maybe there's some, uh, well, some plant. I was about to say some plant that acts on the cannabinoid receptors, but that would just be weed. <laughs> quote of the century um, yeah. <laughs> well it's it's all it's all really interesting it's a good point um also i think indirectly you just made the claim that being bitten by a tiger is is like doing heroin um uh, anyway so moving on um <laughs> um that i i think that that is right like it's it's there's a, this also there's this other component that it's like well you're whatever you're taking it's triggering these things that are already in your body so that's yeah that's a whole nother game of worms um yeah i don't know and, and my reaction to the the whole idea of people being prescribed heroin in europe up till the 90s um i think that i i've i'm surprised by that not because of the idea of it being prescribed at all because i mean you know go back 100 years and do it into a dentist's office and they're giving you mercury and cocaine but <laughs> and and all that stuff but it's just i was surprised by the fact that they were doing it all the way up until so recently that actually takes me off guard so that's fascinating i had no idea yeah um and i mean i guess there's not not any reason not to um there's not any reason to or not to. It's just kind of is. Um, yeah, and I'm going to blow your mind a little bit more. Here in, in uh, America, you can't knowingly give someone with substance abuse um, any other opioid except for methadone under very controlled circumstances, methadone in, in like a clinic or Suboxone, where there's a lot looser regulations, it's Schedule 3 and uh, considered a lot less addictive and dangerous. But in, in Europe, where their uh, addiction um, management is much more advanced, um, a lot of patients will get uh, morphine. And um, now they're introducing, um, in, in parts of Canada and Europe, they're introducing for addicts that haven't had success with uh, other forms like methadone, uh, suboxone, morphine, 
they're actually like giving them controlled amounts of heroin. Um, mm. Like not even, not even kidding. Um, you know, there was a, I think a vending machine in, in Canada. Don't quote me on this. So it, it's very limited. Um, it's, it's not widespread, but the morphine seems to be a pretty kind of normal, regular thing in Europe. Not sure what Canada is doing exactly. Uh, but I was, uh, I was talking to someone who was a, uh, I don't know if former addict's the right word, but someone who was long, uh, long past abusing uh, opioids. So they were in recovery, not so much of a, of a risk, uh, I think over five years. And they were, um, they were getting morphine and they were getting literally, um, it was a thousand and one hundred and some amount of grams. I think it was one, 170, but it was above 1,100 milligrams of morphine. So a, a crazy high dose. Um, wow. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that, that kind of shocked me, but it, it made sense. I mean, Europe is, is handling the crisis a lot better than we are. Um, we're still so focused on, on rehab and abstinence, uh, which doesn't work. 90, 95% of the time. Uh, yeah. And rehab kills people, honestly speaking. Uh, sorry, that's a little off topic, but yeah, it's, um, I shouldn't even be called rehab because that implies you're, you're rehabilitated and you know, you're, you're not tempted to use drugs. It, it should be more like called detox. That's really all they do. They get you do the withdrawals and that's about it. Uh, mm. It's not really yeah. a rehabilitation of any sorts. I think it definitely requires a new look. I mean, and I think that this is one of those few, like, you know, I guess you could call it bipartisan things uh, happening right now where it's like, it's not like the approach is the same, but I think everybody uh, in, in positions of power are just flailing and struggling because they just, no one has successfully addressed this and it's not something that anyone can hold over anyone else's head and be like, this is how we're supposed to do this. And so it's, it, it, it makes sense to me that we would have to look at this in a different way. And I mean, my Lord knows I know it cause my brother was in and out of it forever, like for over 10 years. And it's like, uh, he, you would think that after someone comes back into a rehab clinic three times that, that maybe something needs to change with the way that it's being done. You know, like he had, to, he, he ended up going back into places so many times. He never blamed anyone else for his problems. He always, you know, he took full responsibility for his, for his actions, but like within that scope and understanding, it was insane how like, there's just not the thought going into it. There need, this whole system needs to be, thought about in a different way because it's not working and it's just like the same people coming back in every month after you know going through this and then it's not working or they go to jail or they get out and they're doing well for a while and then they fall back into it and it's like okay you've seen them five times now let's let's change something <laughs> you know yeah and um it yeah uh, our whole healthcare system needs to be reformed, but this is a really Im important part of it. Um, the lack of access to uh, um, MAT, you know, methadone clinics and, and suboxone, if, if you don't have insurance, um, Technically, this, you know, if you have a hardcore heroin habit, it's probably cheaper to go to a clinic or a, a, a suboxone thing. But, you know, where are you going to where are you going to stay during the, the withdrawals? How are you going to get through them alone on the streets? Um, I don't know how many addicts are living homeless on the streets, but. Uh, from the documentaries I've seen, a lot of them will numb their pain and they'll sleep great on hard concrete with a couple, you know, blankets maybe. And it's, it's bad. 
care when doing that, getting them through the night. Uh, what happens when they don't have that that crutch anymore and they're going through horrible withdrawals and it's um it's it's pretty bad. It, it reminds me um, there was a study done that it would literally be cheaper uh, if we were to give all homeless people a place to stay than how it currently is with all the costs of of taking them to jail and the policing costs and all that. And I mean, you'd obviously be doing a lot of good things and, and you know, you wouldn't be putting them in nice places. You'd be putting them in a tiny one bedroom apartment or, or probably not even a one bedroom, probably like a studio or something. But to think about how many millions of lives you could help, but, and you'd save money but it's, it's just like, there's this established wisdom, the, the establishment bias. And it's, it's you know, it, it's hard to push against that. Um, like there's a established bias that pushing on doctors and pressuring them to prescribe less is the solution as more and more deaths tally up. Um, and, and unless you have a big shakeup, I don't, I don't know if much is going to change. I, I think it'll get better slowly. I mean, compare now to uh, 10, 15 years ago, at least people are a lot more informed about the, the risks of, of opioids. And um, honestly, shame on those doctors that, that fell for the Oxycontin marketing. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a doctor, but like, Pharmacologically speaking, like we've known opioids are addictive for over a hundred years. How could you not think that this thing is addictive? You know, turns out it's more addictive than morphine, but, and, and maybe that's, you couldn't guess that, but you could at least guess it's addictive. It's an opioid after all. Um, it's, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, we had doctors that shouldn't be managing chronic pain, managing chronic pain, who didn't have the specialization. And the, the rules and stuff didn't exist back then. So mm, yeah. <sighs> it's such a messy topic, man. It's... Yeah, totally is. And, um, you know, coming full circle with recently with the, I know that there was some sort of lawsuit settlement with the, one of the primary culprits in terms of the pharmaceutical industry, the companies having to pay all these states like a few billion dollars or something like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's interesting. And at the same time, it's like, you know, laughable isn't the word, but it's something along the lines of that. And it's like, great. All right. Well, you know, you, you, you duped these doctors or bought them out. You got a bunch of people addicted to this stuff. And then, uh, and you know, have ruined so many lives. And then it's like, well, we'll you know, send a bunch of money to each of the states, and we'll call it even. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Um, anyway, maybe moving into a different topic. I always enjoy talking to you also about. Um, I like to ask you questions about like what you think is okay and not okay because I often find that we're kind of in different places, but that you helped me think about things in, in a different way. Um, primarily I'm thinking about like, um, what I want to ask you is I've seen a few cases recently where people have died and the, the cause of death has been ruled, uh, kratom intoxication basically. And, um, you know, the most recent one, I think that well, one of the most recent ones is the most prominent out there right now is this person who was 23 who passed away and they had taken a uh, really concentrated kratom extract and they also had uh, a, an antihistamine in their system and an antidepressant in their system, which don't play nicely together. Um, so there's that aspect. That aside, what do you think about kratom extracts? What's your feeling on them? I don't like them, generally. I think most people should stay away, uh, most kratom users, but they do have their purpose. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll try to sum this, this little intro up as quickly as possible. But when I, when I did 
research on pharmacologically and, and managing chronic pain. I wanted to be safe with it. So I also spent uh, hundreds of hours doing research on addiction. And, you know, that part of that involved going to the Reddit opiate forums and seeing what, what people, why people started and, and what have you. And it, it turns out regular Kratom just isn't strong enough for people who are addicted to fentanyl, which is very common outlay since pretty much every, every opiate's cut with uh, fentanyl. So people who are uh, really, really addicted and their drug of choice is fentanyl, they actually need the extracts. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, I, I'd say leave them around, but like don't use them unless you're you, one of those cases, uh, one of those people that has to use it. And then obviously you regulate it um, but I, I wouldn't want the regulations to like weaken it. Uh, maybe just have to have it be tested and have the percentage of um, the, how to pronounce the alkaloids with the, the 7 OH and then the, uh, the mixture of gyming or. Yeah, I just recently learned. It. Yeah, I just recently learned it's mitragynine. <laughs> mitragynine. So finally, I'm saying it right. Mitragynine. Uh, that's the alkaloid, right? That's the primary alkaloid. Yeah. Yeah, the one that's typically at like one percent. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think they just should be regulated. I don't think access to them should be cut off. I'm. You know, one of my biggest uh, beliefs is freedom to a certain extent. Obviously, you know, your freedom ends where my freedom begins kind of thing. Um, and, but like, just regulation on them because those are the ones that are more likely to be spiked with something else. Um, there's a small cases of some of them being spiked with... Uh, O-DSMT, I believe that's the correct one, but it's the the drug that tramadol turns into since tramadol on its own does nothing, but it turns into actually a pretty potent opioid. Just a lot of people don't metabolize it well, Mm. um, and it's not always super pleasant. So that's why it's a lot of people, including myself, don't like it because they have horrible side effects. But yeah, there was a uh, case of that mixing with with kratom extracts uh, that happens way more frequently than adulterated kratom leaf um and i think it's also the type of consumer that's looking for an extract is they're just looking for something strong they uh they may be less careful and i guess uh your average um, person who buys online knows not to buy headshot stuff, you know. Uh, but uh, I guess just regulate it like like other kratom, maybe a little more regulation. Uh, oh. Maybe two lab tests instead of one lab test. Because you do have to be careful with those extracts. They're, they're really strong. Um, in a sense you might be bypassing the plant's uh, natural um, anti-overdose mechanisms to a certain extent. Um, and, you know, if anyone's mixing it with, uh, with opioids recreationally or alcohol, or benzos or, in this case, even antidepressants that can cause death. Um, so mm. just got to be careful that the numbers are so high on it. Um, that's hard for the long answer, but <laughs> no, it's complicated. It's, it's, yeah, it's exactly as hoping to hear is something like that. Like I, I don't know where I personally land on extracts right now. I've been trying to figure it out. I think that um, my hesitation with them is kind of like two different reasons. One, it seems to me that most cases where you know where they get publicity where like the family's mad about the kratom aspect of someone dying and says that kratom 
is the reason, um, which there's a few of those out there. Not not really like many, many, but th those are the ones that seem to be prominent. Um, uh, it, it seems to me that in most of those cases, it, extracts are involved. Either that or like unmarked bags or like bags that says type of kratom on it that are like basically ziploc bags with no instructions or information and it's really sketchy but like for, from my memory and from the things i've looked at most of them or at least a heck of a lot of my i'd say most have extracts involved and so just like you know coming across that each and every time makes me a little wary of it just as it would with anything but the other aspect is like the fact that we don't know much about the alkaloids in kratom like we're starting to figure out mitragynine in a lot of ways although it's still you know we're still learning a lot about it but like there's 30 or 40 other alkaloids in kratom there's like five or seven that we know for a fact play pretty you know play play significant roles when when ingested and um and like we don't know what most of them are even doing and so i'm like wondering like unless you're concentrating only mitragynine for instance in which case i'm still like like a little wary of that you don't know like you're you might be concentrating these alkaloids that we have no idea what they're gonna do like and you're and you're concentrating them and then saying all right here you go and it's like do we know every single alkaloid that's being concentrated unless it's like a specific concentration of only one alkaloid uh, i feel like that's another factor that i don't see too much about out there but it's like if it's just like a generic this is a kratom extract um it it's like okay well that means there could be 40 things really powerfully concentrated in this bottle that wouldn't be if it was just the leaf <laughs> so i guess i'm just like hesitant because of that but um but i don't know where i stand on it i don't i'm not necessarily taking the position it shouldn't be out there but i'm I, I think once you start altering things to that level, it, it deserves its own focus, I guess. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, I didn't even realize there was that many alkaloids in Kratom. Uh, um, yeah. But it, it makes sense. And um, to add to your point, actually, well, I mean, obviously the, the most abundant alkaloids are are the mitragynine probably pronouncing that wrong again but and the 7-oh um, and those are the ones that that cause any uh any type of high so i think extracts typically focus on that and um, but i'm sure they have some some of the other stuff but i think they have a lot less of the uh, other alkaloids relative to those two because they don't have that, that kind of effect. And that actually might cause a, a lot of uh, danger. Like um, Kratom being one of the few uh, drugs, especially opioids that you can't overdose on, some of those other alkaloids are probably responsible for that. So hmm. kind of not extracting them in the the same percentage quantities could actually be really dangerous. Um, like, uh, um, well, that I was going to say, um, like some opioids have, like uh, buprenorphine have high uh, kappa and delta opioid uh, activity. Uh, the mu is the one we typically uh, think of that's the one that causes pain or and or you know high in euphoria um, but it be only being a partial agonist is why uh, you typically can't overdose on suboxone alone same with kratom mitragynine is thought to be a partial agonist um, but there's that thought that uh, word again but those those other alkaloids might be really important to, to preventing uh, overdoses. Um, and then obviously you have to consume so much Kratom to, to even risk it, even mixing it with other things versus an extract where it's like, you might have uh, 10, 20 grams worth in, in a tiny little bottle. Uh, you have a couple of bottles. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it might be like, 
comparing beer to uh, vodka or liquor. I mean, uh, obviously, alcohol is much more dangerous and you can actually die from it actually pretty easily relative to most drugs. But it's a lot easier to, to overdose on, on vodka than it is beer. That's for sure. Mm. It's such an interesting point, the fact that, you know, maybe the things that are responsible for Kratom not being, you know, at face value that dangerous, you know, might be lost in some sort of extraction process. That's, I've never thought about that before. It's such an interesting point. Um, Man, I don't know what else I wanted to bring up here. I'm kind of running towards the end of the time. Uh, is there anything else you've been thinking about recently or what, what do you got coming up next? Like, do you have anything going on with um, uh, pain or, or anything like that, that, you know, hopefully you have some sort of uh, hopefulness for or optimism for change or anything. I know the last time we talked, you were going through some sort of switch with doctors and stuff. So I don't know anything to look forward to. Um, yeah, I have uh, my spinal cord stimulator in a little less than a month on December 14th. And it's going to be pretty painful for probably a month or two, um, as in much worse than my usual pain. But after that, it should reduce pain by more than 50%. So that's definitely wow. something to look forward to. Um, something kind of crazy happened. I almost had uh, answered for because I, I finally, I've had like carpal tunnel and pain syndromes in, in my hands for uh, five, six years now. And uh, my back took up a, a lot of the focus. But um, now that I've hit my insurance out of pocket, I, I went and got an EMG done, which is like a, a nerve test. And it, it showed uh, nerves being pressed in uh, one of the nerves in the elbow in both elbows and one of the median nerves in the left hand, but not the right hand. Um, and while my left hand has worse symptoms, I still have symptoms in the right hand. So it's, it's uh, like my, <laughs> to put it in perspective, my EMG started by, with this sentence, this is an abnormal study. So the symptoms <laughs> really are <laughs> abnormal. Um, Unlike my back, it, it wasn't a very easy, like, you know, okay, this is your diagnosis. This is your problem. Well, these are your, your potential options. And even though, you know, it's, it's much more serious, uh, I ended up having surgery with and has a much lower success rate. Getting the surgery wasn't, without knowing everything, just wasn't, in my opinion, a good idea. But uh, just uh, we're going to see. I'm going to do physical therapy. Um, I have injections here actually pretty soon. Some steroid injections, uh, I think in my left elbow and, and uh, wrist on the 21st, I think. I have to double check, but I think it's the 21st and I start PT on the 28th. Wow. Well, that's a, so, lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's something to look forward to in, a, in an extent. Um, I might get up to a couple months of, of pain relief uh, in my hands uh, from the injections, and hopefully, physical therapy teaches me how to like relieve the pain myself. But there's a there's a small chance that I don't need surgery. In the end, I probably will. We're just not sure what kind yet. Like I, I definitely, um, I, I have definite nerve damage in both elbows, so they could do surgery there pretty easily um, because there's there's a pretty identifiable problem. But you know, do they do the do they also do it in the wrist? We're not sure yet. There's uh, questions about it. Like in my left wrist. Uh, the uh, the motor nerve is um, being uh, has less of a it's it's slower so it's like uh, I don't know if the right word is nerve damage or it's being impinged by something like pressed on by something but my sensory 
uh, nerve and my wrist isn't. And typically with carpal tunnel, both are being um, impinged. I think it's the right word for it, but basically something's pressing on it. Typically a, uh, a ligament that they have to go ahead and cut, make some room. And then when it heals, the ligament will heal around the nerve, giving the nerve plenty of room to do its thing. So, wow. Sorry for that. No, no, it's a lot. I'm glad that there's all this, you know, that there are these things that you can look forward to. And hopefully, um, you know, it sounds like a lot. It's going to be a lot, but uh, I'm wishing you the best. And, you know, we'll definitely check in with you afterwards and see how it's all going. But it's, you know, it's always good to have some sort of thing on the on the books that that might be able to help with something. So I'm glad that that there's that opportunity there. So thanks so much um, for taking the time to talk with us here again and for another check-in, and we'll have to do it again soon. Uh, definitely. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. Hope you have a great rest of your day. You bet. You too. And uh, we will talk with you all on Monday. <laughs>